words of encouragement that uh, you've given me over the last couple of weeks and you know, the, the statements of kindness and love that have been extended to me and my family. You, none of you in this room have any idea how much I love each and every one of you. Literally, we've been with you for almost nine years. Uh, watched many families come and go. Some of you were here long before we got here. Some of you left and came back. And, you know, it's just been a, it's been a fantastic blessing to be here. But with all that said, we know that the Lord has a special plan for us. Uh, we've known for a long time that we were going to serve him in full-time ministry when I exited the Army. We just didn't know where. Uh, up until just a couple of years ago, we thought that it was going to be in the Northwest. We thought we were going to be in the greater Seattle-Tacoma area, serving either as a church plant out from underneath Pastor Reno or a local church that needed you know, a pastor in this area. But in the last couple of years, the Lord's kind of you know, changed our directions a little bit and, and shown us that you know, he, He's got different plans for us. And as we started praying fervently uh, within the last year or so, asking the Lord where he would have us to go. We really only had one qualifier, if you want to say. We asked the Lord and said, Lord, we'll go anywhere you want to go. But if we get a vote, we would like to get within a day's drive of the East Coast, within a day's drive of really North Carolina. Uh, several reasons for that, some of them personal, some of them you know, uh, spiritual, other, and you know, some of them physical. Uh, but... We had our reasons, but we were not going to limit God. We know better. You know, in the 20 years, I've been almost 21 years that I've been saved, I have learned emphatically, don't put limits on what God wants to do. I have taken that whooping. I promise you, if you're in that situation right now, it's not fun. It's not fun. But God in his grace and mercy granted at least that we were able to be within a day's drive um, we asked, Lord, I said, if you will allow, we would like to be east of the Mississippi. God said, I got you. So he put us east of the Mississippi, five miles east of the Mississippi. <laughs> it, it's so close that if I throw a stone really hard, I could probably hit the water. But we're east of the Mississippi. We asked to be within a day's drive of the home place, the family. Uh, my wife's parents still live in Hickory, North Carolina. Her sisters and brothers are still in North Carolina. My children, two of my uh, children, go to school in South Carolina. And ironically, we're just a little over eight hours from all of them. So that's within a day's drive. So God's been good there. And then we asked the Lord, and Lord, you've allowed us to stay in the Army. You've guided us to stay in the Army so that we would receive a retirement check and be able to minister to a church that may not necessarily be able to afford a full-time pastor, but needs that full-time care. And Lord, if that's where we would like to, to be able to go to that kind of situation, if that's what you would have us to do. And that's what he gave us. You know, Oklahoma Baptist Church is a church 86 years old. It's been there a long time. It's in the heart of uh, the Shelby Forest, National uh, Forest area in uh, northern Shelby County, Memphis, Tennessee area. Uh, the congregation has dwindled to about 35 people. And all of the congregation is senior saints. They're faithful and they're loving, but they're, they're all senior saints. And they've been, unfortunately, without a pastor for about two years. And without a legitimate pastor for almost six, because the pastor they had prior to that was really more an evangelist. He lived a distance away and would commute in for services. 
So God granted that prayer. He, he sent us to a place. They, they faithful, they give, and they, they don't have any financial problems, but they can't afford a full-time pastor. So God's granted us that. And then he gave us a house that is close enough to the church that it's not on the church property, but we can get there quickly. And I asked the Lord as we were praying, I said, Lord, I want to be somewhere where I can reach the people. Especially, you know, as we got to know this church and realized their needs as an older congregation, I need to be close enough that I can get to them in a short amount of time, not have to drive from halfway across, you know, the state or anything like that. I can be their pastor. And God allowed that we would find a house that would suit our needs and suit our family's needs three minutes from the church. So it's a blessing. God's worked in great ways. So if you will, as we prepare to leave, you know, Amy and uh, the kids leave Monday of next week, the day after uh, their God and Country Day, they leave the 6th of July. They're going on forward to begin establishing uh, our foothold there, get Isaiah settled in because school starts in the early part of August. And uh, I don't get to be released from the Army because, you know, my parole doesn't come up <laughs> until the 18th of August. At uh, 18th of August, so I'll, I'll depart from here, 19th, the morning of the 19th, and then I'll join them. My first official Sunday as pastor will be 30th of August. So pray for Oakland Baptist Church. I know that God's got a great plan for that area. It's, it's an area ripe for growth. Uh, the people have a heart for growth. They want to see people saved. They want to see the church filled up again. They want to see the glory of God in Shelby County. And I want to I be a part of that as, I'm just so excited on what God's led us to and the opportunities that are there and what I know he's going to do with those. So be much in prayer with that uh, for them and for us as we go. Pray that we would glorify God in all that we do and that we would be a help and a testimony uh, to that small fledgling church. And with that said, I'm assuming this one is mine because I'm going to tear it apart. But in your Bibles... Starting in Isaiah 6, and we're just going gonna, gonna to read some verses out of Isaiah 6, and then we're going to launch off into the message. That's not really where the meat of our message is coming out of tonight. But Isaiah chapter 6, starting there in verse 1, the Bible tells us that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. We understand that this is Isaiah's vision, and he's telling us about it. It said, Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And verse 6, 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, Send me. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time that we have this evening. We thank you for every family that's represented here today, and thank you for the privilege, Lord God, that we have to be together, 
to gather in your house, to lift up your word, to praise you, to glorify you, and to hear from you. Father, I ask now, Lord, that you would just guide me tonight. Use me as a vessel of your glory and your honor, for I am nothing without you, and I can do nothing without you. And Father, we just pray that this service would be to your glory and that the words that are spoken from my mouth would not only impact my life, but those that are here tonight. Let us all lay the charge of the evening to the work that you have for us. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we read these words and we look at what Isaiah is saying and we see all that he's facing uh, there as he's standing in the throne room of God and looking upon the face of God and he gets this command. He says, God says, who will go for us? Isaiah stands up, he says, I'll go, I'll go. And we think, wow, what a noble response. That's awesome. Isaiah is one of my heroes. Here's the reason I named my son after him. I love Isaiah. Isaiah's a stand-up guy. Isaiah's one of those, he'll take the bull by the horns and charge with it. He's the guy you want on your team no matter what because he's just full of vigor and is willing to do whatever God wants him to do and go wherever he wants to do. And he gives this great noble response and we all cheer and we all say, yes, that's fantastic. That's the way a man of God should be. And we see that you know, he's not the only one that does it. There's several examples of that throughout Scripture where we see that kind of, that kind of attitude. And you know, as I look at that and I look at those, I've heard a lot of preachers uh, over the years that will use this passage when they reference their own personal call in the ministry. When they, when they talk about how they knew that God was placing that, that burden on their lives to, to be in full-time ministry and be in pastoral ministry or evangelical, you know, they heard the call of God and said, who will go for us? And they answered the call and said, I'll go, I'll go. They volunteered. You know, even Paul was a volunteer. You know, even though as we were listening a minute ago, we heard about how before he became Paul, he persecuted the church and he did so many bad things. But when God got a hold of him, right, and he knocked him to the ground and he said, hey, I want you to serve me. Paul said, okay, let's go. Right? He didn't even question. He just, he stepped off in, in faith, saluted and moved out smartly, as we say in the army. Right? He, he was a volunteer. You know, God said, go do this. He said, I'll go do it. And there's many other examples. David, the man after God's own heart willing to serve God no matter what the consequences was. As a young lad, stepped off in the valley against the Philistine giant. Said, y'all ain't going to do it, I'll do it. Yeah, you ain't going to fight this guy, I'll go fight him. And we look to those heroes and we say, hey man, that's a guy I want to follow. That's the, that's the way it should be. That's the kind of person you know, that should be leading a church. The one that's all in and sold out and absolutely right. You know, willingly decide to serve God with your life is a good thing. As Pastor Reno alluded to just a minute ago, he was a volunteer. He shared it many times as he did tonight. He said, he told God, I'll go and do whatever you want me to do. And God put him in the ministry. And he was, you know, I thank God for volunteers. A person who volunteers to do a work is a good thing. I love volunteers. And in a way, I'm a volunteer, sort of certain things in my life. You know, I volunteered to serve my country 28 years ago. I raised my right hand and I said, I do solemnly swear to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I volunteered. Nobody held a gun to my head. 
Nobody twisted my arm and made me stand up and say that. And they definitely didn't make me do it the three times I had to do it. I volunteered. I told them I would. And in so volunteering, I understood. As I volunteered to do that, I understood that I was volunteering to drag my family that I didn't have at the time but would have one day, drag my family all over the world, potentially. I understood that I was going to go from duty station to duty station and answer this call that I had volunteered for. I understood the very real possibility that I was going to subject my body to years of abuse compounded by extreme hard-headedness and stupidity. (laughs) We call it being gung-ho. But I understood that. I volunteered for that. And I volunteered wholeheartedly. I, I knew the risk. I knew what was being asked of me, and I I agreed to it of my own volition. You know, I've often heard, and I've even said, that there's a fine line between being hard and stupid. I've crossed that line more times than I can count. But as I draw uh, to a close of this this long and storied career that comes to an end this, this summer, I can honestly say that I'm glad I did it. I'm glad that I volunteered. I'm glad that I've given a life to my country. I'm glad for all the experiences that I've gained through it and all the training that I've received and all the fantastic people that I have had the uh, blessed opportunity to interact with. I'm glad I did it. I volunteered and and it was a good thing for me to do. But I haven't volunteered for everything that I've done in life. I haven't volunteered for everything I've found myself doing. Some things I've done, I, was, I did kicking and screaming. And in that way, I find that I have a lot more in common with some of the other heroes of the faith than, say, Isaiah or Daniel or Paul or even Elijah and Elisha, who both you know, served God willingly. I find myself more aligned with guys like Jonah <laughs> or Gideon or our friend that we're going to talk about tonight, Moses. If you'll turn with me back here to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. So the story of Moses and the burning bush is, is a very personal story to me. Not because I had a burning bush experience, right? There, there was no time when I stepped out in my yard and it was on fire and it was God talking to me. Although that would have been pretty fascinating. But it was because like Moses, at one point in my life, I thought God had slipped out of gear. There's been several times in my life when I've you know, understood God was telling me to do something. And I was like, you sure about that? You, you realize what you're asking, right? Or who you're asking. So we know the history of, of Moses' life. You know, we know that chapter 1 explains to us why God called him into the service. Because you know, Joseph had died and the Pharaoh that Joseph had served had died. And the, the, the reputation and the relationship that the Israelites and the Egyptians had had collapsed long before. And they had been turned into slaves. And then, of course, we understand in chapter 2 that uh, Moses' mother had to wear with all to hide her because she realized he was a special child. And in that chapter, we see the first 80 years of his life go by in the blink of an eye. Right? 
But in chapter 3, Moses' whole world turns upside down. In, in the first beginnings of chapter 3, God is, uh, God's going to take the opportunity to get a hold of Moses. And we see there in verse 1, it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the only thing I really want to point out here is that you know, anytime you see somebody go to the backside of the desert, they're going to have an interaction with God. It's, it's a peaceful place, but it's a place of, of commune with God. You know, even in the New Testament, you see Jesus go alone a lot out into the desert to be with God. Moses didn't realize that was going to happen. Moses just thought he was taking the sheep out there because he's got a pretty good gig. You realize you know, he had the 40 years that he was raised in the lap of luxury in Egypt, and then he fled to uh, Midian when he you know, did the stupid that he did and went and hid out there, and he got a wife and kids and a job, and he's got it made. But now he's out here on the backside of the desert, and God reaches out to him through this bush, and we know how the conversation goes, so I won't belabor it. But let's jump down into verse 10 there. And God tells Moses, he says, come now, therefore, after he's explained all that's going on, he said, I've heard the people, I know they're having problems, I'm going to deliver them. And then verse 10, he says, come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. (laughs) And Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? So the first thing I see there is, if I could kind of dumb this down the way I normally do, Moses looked at God and said, what? Wait a minute, what? You're going to do what? Go where? Wait a minute, God. I've already been there. I know what's going on down there. I, I know. Who, I, uh-uh. Look at, yeah, I got some excuses. Yeah. First, first excuse that Moses come up with, and he says, who am I? He says, I don't have the position, first of all, to go approach Pharaoh. Because, you know, we understand that Pharaoh is, well, he's the king of the known world. He's the most powerful man on two legs. I don't have a position that would allow me to go talk to Pharaoh. Esther kind of gave her cousin the same argument when he said she needed to go before King Ahasuerus back in that book too, didn't she? She said, I'm nobody. you got to have special permission to go talk to the king. Moses is telling God, I don't belong down there. There's no reason for me. There's no, I'm nobody. You know? And then he says, well, I, I've got no reputation that would gain him audience with Pharaoh. So I'm just a, I'm just a sheep herder out here in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I'm not anybody special. I'm not the king of another land or a prince of any kind. You know? This Pharaoh doesn't know me like the previous Pharaoh did because I've been gone for 40 years. You know? I, I'm nobody important to them. So I don't have a reputation. I'm not out here making waves that they would have heard of me in Egypt so that they would want to talk to me. Who am I? Why would you send me? It says, he also has, he has no power or no influence. So he's not a big businessman. He's not a huge farmer or anything that he could offer to Pharaoh 
to gain this kind of access or anything that he might be able to negotiate with or bargain with him. He's, he's nobody of importance. But all of that boils down to this next excuse. The most important of all the excuses, he had no desire. Really, he had no desire. Why on earth would he want to risk everything he's got to go to Egypt? Like I said, 40 years he's been out there. He's got a good home. He's got a wife. He's got good kids. He's got a good job. He's working for his daddy-in-law in the family business. He's got it made. Nobody's messing with him. He's out here on the backside of the desert. It's quiet. It's peaceful. He's doing his own thing. He ain't hurting nobody. Why on earth would he want to go to Israel? Or excuse me, Egypt. Why would he want to go down there? Why would he want to risk his own neck? He fled Egypt because he knew he was in trouble. Why go back down there? He has no desire. He's got everything he needs right where he's at. A good location, you know. He's far enough away from there. He doesn't need to go back. Look what God says in in verse 12. He says, certainly I will be with thee. And again, later in the verse, he says, I have sent thee. For all the excuses that Moses had just laid out, who am I? Why would you send me? I am a nobody. I'm not important. I'm not positionally placed. I'm not influential. I'm none of this. God says, look, everything that you're short, I am. That's why I told him up there, you know, in verse 14, when we get to that, it's I am. So all the qualifications that Moses did not have are found in God. God has the power and the influence. God has the position. God has the reputation. God has the desire to go to Egypt and free his people. Everything that Moses was trying to argue against, God says simply, I will be with thee. I have sent thee. Everything that you're short, I have. But Moses doesn't give up easy, does he? We know this story. Moses doesn't give up easy. He says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, they shall say to me, Well, what's his name? And what do I say to them? I don't know. What's his name? It's like, they're not going to believe me either. I ain't nobody. They don't know me. I can be anybody. And then, of course, we see in verse 14, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. It says just simply, I am. I am everything that you need. I am everything that you lack. I am the one that's going to provide you with the abilities. I am. Who is he? What's his name? I am. I am. That's all you need. And Moses said, you know, what's his name? What shall I say unto them? And and what he's doing there is he's blame shifting. He's blame shifting. He's saying, look, they're going to be hard to deal with. I'm not going to be able to just walk up in there and and make this statement. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, let's go. I don't know who this guy is, but I'm going to follow him anywhere. Especially against the king of the world who's oppressing us like nobody's business. 
made us into slaves. But hey, this guy who just walked in out of the desert, we're going to follow him. Moses says, what do I tell them? They're going to be hard to work with. They're not going to want to follow me. So they'll question his motives. Of course, they don't know him. He's been gone for 40 years. He has no reputation with them. He's just another guy that's coming out of the desert making promises that they've probably heard a thousand times. I mean, they've been in slavery for over 400 years. They've heard these promises. There's been others coming along that have you know, tried, to, tried to lead rebellions and they were squished like bugs. He'll be no different. Of course, they, they question his integrity too because now he's coming in and he's proclaiming the name of God and trying to give credence to what he's telling them and he's saying that God has sent me and he's not the first one, I'm sure, that would say that. So why should they believe him? So they're going to question his integrity. So, so God being the loving and, and merciful God that he is, he spends the next eight verses explaining what he's going to say and why he's going to say it in great detail. But Moses doesn't give up on the argument. But we'll look at, I'm not going to go into the great detail that God went into with Moses, but we're going to hit the high spots. Look at verse 14, God says right out of the shot, he said, you tell him, my name is, I am. It covers it. I am. I am that I am. That's what you need to know. And if that's not good enough, you tell him that, you know, verse 15 says, this is my name forever. And it's my memorial. In verse 16, Nazel makes some promises to him. He says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you. So you want to gain some integrity with the children of Israel and you want to gain their trust. You explain to them, God has been here and seen what's going on. I've surely visited you. I know your problems. Verse 16, he backs it up. Excuse me. Verse 17, he says, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt. So he's taking it out of Moses' hands. You know, he said, Moses, I want you to go gather the elders and I want you to tell them that God has sent you, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great I am, the, the creator of the universe, the God of the world, everything that I am, I want you to tell them, I'm the one that's going to drag you out. I'm the one that's going to take you out. I'm the one that's going to do these things. Verse 20, I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt. And verse 21, I will give this people favor. Not you, Moses. You're not going to do any of this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do all this. And that's what you're going to explain to the Egyptians. <laughs> Moses is a hard-headed individual. I told you I relate to Moses very well. Moses is hard-headed, and here's where it shows it. Moses in chapter 4, right? Verse 1, Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me. God just spent all this time explaining exactly what he needed to do, why he needed to do it, how he needed to do it. And Moses said, that doesn't matter. They're not going to believe me. It's irrelevant what I say. So they're not going to believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. There's his integrity again, right? There's his motives. 
Do, we, you're nobody to us. You're just like us. You're just another Israelite, you know, coming out of the sand. You're nobody. God didn't come talk to you. Why should we believe you? And Moses is throwing his best argument first because any time that you're trying to make an argument for something you really don't want to do, you put your best argument first, right? doesn't matter who it's with, with your spouse, with your friends, with God. Your best argument, and his best argument is they're not going to believe me. I'm nobody to them. I'm not important to them. I, so he doubles down on it. So when you don't want to do something, you give your best argument first. But God ain't done with him yet. And I'm glad God wasn't done with him yet. So he, he rebuts all of that. God explains to him. He gives him these signs. He said, you're going to do these things with the rod and with the leprous hand. And you're going to, you're going to do great things. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to really be cool. It's going to be fantastic. We, oh, no, wait. That's presidential. I'm sorry. <laughs> Back to the Bible. You're going to do great things, and you're going to do it because I'm going to give you the power to do it. And all of these things that I'm going to give you to do are going to back up the words that I'm giving you to say. And Moses says in verse 10, he said, wait a minute. First, I'm not an eloquent speaker. So all this that you've given me to say, I'm not going to be able to say. I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't talk so good. All right? I, I is a redneck. English is my second language. So. Neither heretofore nor since, in verse 10, has, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. But what's it boil down to? Moses knows exactly what God wants him to do. He doesn't want to do it. Various reasons. And it even goes so far, you know, God rebukes and rebuts and rebuts. And, they, and just a side note at the grace of God, that we've spent all this time looking at this whole conversation and, and God has just lovingly rebutted everything that Moses has said. Everything that Moses has thrown back at God, God said, yeah, I got an answer for that. I got a plan for that. I got something for that too. And after all that, Moses finally at last stops arguing and just flat out rejects him. You ever seen that before? Have you ever noticed that that's what he did? Verse 13, look with me if you will. Moses flat out rejects him. Verse 13, Moses said, and he said, Oh my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him who thou wilt send. Send anybody you want, Lord, just don't send me. Send somebody else. I'm not interested. No. Get it done, just not with me. He flat out rejects him. And it's at that point that God gets upset. It's at that point the very next verse there, it says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And I'll not belabor all of that to say this. God basically says, I'm sending you. Moses gave excuse after excuse after excuse. And then finally said, Look, I don't want to go. 
Send anybody else you want. I mean, they're down there hurting. They need delivered. They need the help. I agree. Send somebody, just not me. I'm not your guy. And God says, yes, you are. In Ed Waycaster's life, this conversation was almost verbatim with God. In 2002, early summer of 2002, a young Christian, young married man, two little kids, trying, trying to learn this thing called the Bible, learn, learn what Christianity was like. Sitting in the church one Sunday morning, Holy Spirit starts speaking in my heart, hey, what that man's doing, you need to be doing. You know? Said, so pull this trick, you know. I don't know, some of you preachers like when you listen to a preacher, you start making messages from his message. Right? That's that's what was going on. I said, You need to be doing that. No. Uh-uh. I said, Do you know me? Do you know what I've done? Do you know where I came from? No. I was a I was a borderline alcoholic. Right. A, a ball-faced liar. Now, I was a nice guy, but I, I, was, I was chief of sinners, as Paul said. You know, I did my own thing, and I treated people nice, but now, I had no life that would warrant being called a preacher. Preachers are like, up here, and I'm this little, you know, I got no business Behind the pulpit. God, you need to find somebody else. That's, I'm not it. I didn't know much about scriptures, but I knew this story. And God used this story over the course of a couple of months. And I spent, as I was telling the, the gentleman this afternoon, as we were, you know, they were beating and flogging me. It's dark suits hiding the blood, you can't see. I told him, I said, you know, I spent so much time wrestling with God in this passage right here that I got sick of hearing about it. I got sick of hearing the arguments that Moses was making that did him no good and I was making the same arguments. I had a good job, wonderful family, nice place to live. I liked what I was doing. God said, I, I got something better. I don't want to do that, God. I like this. I don't want to do that. I want you to do it. But God, I'm not, I'm not the guy to do that. I'm not educated. I don't know this Bible. I don't, I've never been to college. I want you to do that. But I can't, I can't preach to people. I've got a horrible background. I've done some really nasty things in my life that a lot of people don't know about, but the ones that do know about would fall over dead if they found out I was you know, preaching. Some of them are in this room tonight. God says, I don't care. I got a plan for that. I got a purpose for that. I got a use for that. Moses said, I can't do it. It's not me. They won't believe me. I said, God, they're not going to believe me. I'm just some hick from Burke County, North Carolina. God said, I don't care. That's what I want you to do. So about three months into it, I said, okay, God, 
Again, one Sunday morning sitting in the church pew. Preacher just nailing it. I don't know if anybody else in that church needed the message that he was preaching. It was about me. He beat me to the pulp. And when the invitation came, I had no choice. I stood and, and proclaimed surrender in front of the whole church. Ask Amy about it sometimes. She thought she was going to kill me because I didn't even talk to her about it. She had no idea. I'd been hiding this from her too. I'd been hiding all this from her because I was scared that this was what God was wanting me to do. And I knew that it was a, it's a call without repentance, first of all. But it's a standard like no other. I'm a military man. I'm all about standards. Upholding the, and upholding the standards, enforcing the standards, about the standards. This is a standard way above. And God's calling me. I don't know. I ain't telling nobody about that. I don't want to do that. But that Sunday morning, I couldn't fight no more. I surrendered to preach. And, and my pastor said, gotcha. He knew. But the very, was it two weeks later, I preached my first message. He said, you're going to preach, you're going to preach. He preached my first message two weeks later. This is entitled Rags to Riches. Matter of fact, some of y'all may remember the time frame. It was within two weeks of Dale Earnhardt's death. Dale Earnhardt Sr., he died because he was part of my illustration. His death was part of my illustration about, you know, not having, not having knowledge of when you're going to go. But I preached that first message, and the Lord gloriously allowed a young lady in the church to get saved. And when she did, I, and I, that was a joy that I had never known before in my life, besides my own salvation. And I promised God, I said, I, I may never do it any good at all. I may stumble and fall and trip and look like a fool, but I'll do this the rest of my days. And for the most part, I have. There's been some periods of you know, ne'er-do-well. But for the most part, I've been faithful to that and served God. But God wasn't done with that. That wasn't good enough. About a year later, maybe a year and a half later, God said, yeah, we're going to kick it up a notch. I don't just want you to preach. Now, I'm preaching at this time. I'm preaching every, just about every Saturday on a radio ministry. I'm filling the pulpit of the church. I'm preaching a lot. And I'm loving it. I love preaching the Word of God. I may sound like an ignorant hick fool when I do it, but I love doing it. And I hope that I improve and get better and I do it to the glory of God every time I do it. But I love doing it. But God said, That's, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick that up a notch on you and I'm going to say, I want you to go into ministry. I want you to do it on a full-time basis. And, Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Time out. That's not, uh, see, preachers don't get paid squat. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a hard worker. I make good money. I take care of my family. They're stable. We're provided for. And this whole living by faith thing, I don't know about that. Lord, that's, eh. God says, that's what I want you to do. But I, I, I got to reprieve. I got to deploy. I got to go to war. <laughs> yeah, I thought. You know, just because you're in combat doesn't mean God can't get hold of you. Right? But, you know, come back from that and I, some things happened and I, I saw some, some different lights and saw some different paths and I was able to, like Jonah, God said, go left 
I went right. That's your left and right, not mine. God said, go this way, I went that way. But God's good. God's gracious. I don't care who you are, you'll never convince me otherwise. Because he took a stiff-necked, redneck, hard-headed fool that run. From, I had an opportunity. My pastor in North Carolina tried to get me to, to go down the road to the next town and take an assistant pastor's job that was open. Tried to. I told him, nope. God wants me to go in the army. God wants me to provide for my family. God wants me to do this. That wasn't what God wanted. But God's good. And he used it. He taught me. He put me in a good church. He taught me some things. I grew some things. And now God is allowed after many beatings and many more arguments much like this to finally surrender and say, yes, God, I'll go. And God said, there you go. This is where I want you to go. You're going to go to Tennessee. You're going to take a church that's hurting and struggling and you're going to help them. And I pray that I would be able to do that to his glory. Now, how does all of this relate to you? It's real simple. Somebody in this room, I guarantee, is having this conversation with God. Somebody in this room is, is arguing and, and kicking and screaming and scratching against what God is calling you to do. You know God's got a call on your life. And every excuse that you throw at him, he's throwing something back at you. God will see you through it. God has everything in his control. There's nothing he's asking you to do that you can't do in his power. There's nothing he asked Moses to do that he couldn't do in his power. Moses kicked, screamed, bucked, cried, whined, carried on, even after submitting. And God used him in a glorious way. So much that when the Lord came, they claimed Moses over Jesus. If you're that one tonight, you're the one fighting God, surrender. Stop fighting. It's so much better. I've not had more peace in my life than when I finally submitted. And I've not been able to see the hand of God move more than when I finally submitted to the will of God. I could stand here for another hour, and I'm out of time, and tell you all the wonderful things that I have seen God do in just the last six months. As He's orchestrated this whole scenario with my family and with Oaklawn and with y'all, last six to eight months, there is no reason in this world, just to give one example, there's no reason in this world why the United States Army should grant me a six-month internship to go be at the church every day. No reason whatsoever. That has nothing to do with the Army mission. But they did. And didn't even bat an eye. They had the opportunity, the way that it was all worded. They had the opportunity. They could have called me and had me come in and do a 100,000 things full of stupidity for six months that I was here. I think I had to go in five times. That's God. That's what God will do when you submit. God will take care of the details. 
It's not about your abilities. It's not about how good you are trained or how smart you are or how well you can speak. It's about just being available and willing to submit. Not all of us are volunteers. Not all of us said, yes, Lord, I'll go send me. Those are great, and I thank God for them. But for those of us that are kicking and screaming and bucking, it's a lot easier to just give in and say, yes, Lord, I'll go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this privilege that you've given me. For the nine years that I've been allowed to serve here at Berean Baptist Church. I'm so thankful, Lord, for the ministry of my pastor and for his guidance and leadership and mentorship, for the love he's shown for his people, for his love of missionaries, and for the example that he set, not only for me, but for all of us that are here. I'm thankful for each family here, Lord, and their part in my life. Each and every one of them has a special place with me that will always be. And I hope, Lord, that I have impacted their lives in a positive way as much. Fathers, I've given what you've laid upon my heart to share. I pray, Lord, that if there's that one tonight, and I'm, I'm almost positive there is, that one tonight, Lord, that's fighting you, that's, that's bucking and, and arguing, God, put them to work. Don't give up on them. Encourage them. Strengthen them as you did me. Be gracious and merciful, Lord, as you did me. And I thank you. Father, I thank you just for your loving me and for saving me. That's the most important thing of all. And God, I just, I hope, Lord, that I glorify you in all that you have for me to do going forward. And that this church would continue to serve you in Puyallup, South Hill, Pierce County. To continue to be a light into this dark world around them. That your name is uplifted. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.